Well, good morning, Claremont Bible Chapel. Welcome to all the visitors. Uh, it's good to see the rows packed out. I think you hold the record now for most people in a pew. Uh, in general, we normally only seat six, but I saw rows of seven in there, uh, so that's, that's good to see. Uh, we're glad you're here this morning. What we're going to do is we're going to have this message. We're going to end about 1145, uh, and then we're going to start setting up for the baptism. So just so you know where we're going, uh, we can get there together. Go ahead and open your Bibles to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. We have gone through 1 Thessalonians, and last week we went through chapter 1. Now we're in chapter 2. Um, it is helpful that we went through it because the epistles are so... Uh, nicely tied together. Uh, Paul deals with the question in the, the first epistle that has to do with the fact that the saints that were dead, did they miss the, the rapture? Were they too late? Is it what's going to happen to them? There was concern about the, the end time events and how things were going to go. And Paul encouraged them by telling them that no, that the dead in Christ will rise first. They will meet us and then we will all go to be with the Lord in the air and meet the Lord in the air. And he gave certain details to how that would take place. In 2 Thessalonians, uh, the big problem is they've been facing a lot of uh, false teaching. And false teaching has come in and they've grabbed hold of it. And now they uh, are fearful of a different thing, that they're actually in the Great Tribulation. And so Paul is going to deal with things that would uh, signify the coming of the, the day of the Lord or the, the Tribulation. And to clarify these things. So what we're going to do, because our time is limited today and I'll be taking the time this morning, we're just going to do a brief overview of the first 12 verses, touch the high points, um, try to figure out the purpose of this, why we have this recorded for us, and then we'll, we'll close. And then tonight, if you're willing to come back, we're going to do a more in-depth look at um, the whole chapter, uh, go through uh, these examples and what exactly they're looking for. So let's read verses 1 through 12, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. It says, Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus and our gathering together to him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first, and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And now you know what is restraining, that he may be revealed in his own time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan, with all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth, that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion, that they should believe the lie, that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness." You know, last night, I, I normally uh, get a chance to read to my kids before they go to bed. Uh, they don't go to bed without reading to them, so that's the, what they look forward to at night. And I fell asleep early, so my wife read to them. But uh, it's interesting, the books that they like to read, and one of them that they've all liked at different times, you know, so Noah's four, Ben's two, Jane's only eight weeks, so she doesn't know anything about what's going on. But the two have always liked the story of the three little pigs. 
And the way the story goes, if you don't remember, is that there's a mama pig, she has three little pigs, and she doesn't have enough food to feed them. And so when they get to a certain age, she kicks them all out, and she says, you've got to go make your own fortune, you've got to go take care of yourself. And you have this first pig that is identified as the, the lazy pig, and he builds his house out of straw, because he could build it real quick. And all he does is dance and play and sing and enjoy life. Uh, the second one is not as lazy as the one that built his house out of straw. He built his house out of sticks. He builds his house out of sticks. It doesn't take him much time. It's not very sturdy, but he just wants to dance and play and sing all the time. The third one builds his house out of brick, and it emphasizes this fact that he works hard every day. He gets up early. He gets the brick. He lays the brick. He makes sure it's all level. He builds a, a fireplace with a chimney so that he could cook everything protected within its walls, and it has this emphasis on hard work. And then the wolf comes. And if you look at the old stories, the wolf eats the pigs. The straw, they blow the, the house down, the wolf eats the pig. Then he blows the, the house of sticks down, the wolf eats the pig. He goes to the house of brick, and he blows, he blows, he can't get in. He blows, he blows, and can't get in. So he says, I'm going to trick it, I'm going to go down the chimney. So the pig understands this, he gets the pot going, you know, he gets the water boiling. The wolf gets in there, the pig eats the wolf at the end. I don't know if you all remember that, you know. They don't tell that story no more the way they do in the day. But we got an old Three Little Pig book. And the, the, point of, the point I'm trying to get across is that the story has a certain emphasis and value that you want to pass down to your kids, even though they don't really understand, you know, all that's detailed in the story of the Three Little Pigs. But the fact that you work hard, you, you labor, you know, life is not about just uh, playing and singing. And, you know, unfortunately, they probably changed the story and we have the outcome we have in the world today. Uh, where people just want to play and sing and dance and, and nobody wants to work anymore. But you tell these stories so that these kids will take on certain values and you hope that it reflects in their character. That's why we're very careful with the stories we tell our kids. Um, we have a Bible book that we go through and now they have their favorites and we make sure that, okay, we'll read your favorite, but we got to read a, another one today. And So they, we're trying to get them to take it in, understand it, and then act it out. We want it to result in something. The Apostle Paul, in writing this, is not writing this so that these people could just intellectually know what's going to happen and be really smart about end-time events. The Apostle Paul is writing this so that it would impact the life of the believer to have a certain effect on their character and how it's displayed. And the problem was, because of this false teaching, their character is being damaged because we act out what we believe in our worldview. It has an impact. So these things like doctrine these things like theology, these things like biblical tradition, everything has its purpose because everything is the Holy Spirit is using it to work in and through us that it would have the impact that God desires us to have in the world. So this is why it's so important for the Apostle Paul to clear these things up. The first thing he addresses, he says, Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus and our gathering together to him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, so this in mind has to do intellectually. We, we ask you not to be shaken in what you've come to believe, and we ask you not to be troubled emotionally. We ask you not to have this impact your emotions and how you're functioning on a day-to-day -day basis. The problem is now this false teaching has come in. And unfortunately, the false teaching still t exists to this day. It's something that, that has not gone away. Um, if you're home on a Saturday morning, you'll get a knock on your door sometimes uh, from you know, the Jehovah's Witness that go around and they want to tell you that we're in the time of the Great Tribulation. And they'll go to Luke and they'll show you the verses and they'll say, can't you see that it's this time that we're in this time of Great Tribulation? 
And you should be able to say, well, let me show you in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Can you tell me who the man of sin is and if this rebellion, this falling away, this apostasy has taken place? Because the tribulation can't come without it. And then they won't come to your door anymore. But, but you'll, ha you'll have that opportunity and you'll know what to share. You'll be able to stay sound mind. You'll be able to stay uh, sound heart, not troubled in mind or in, 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 in spirit. And so the question has come up today, is he teaching that this coming together, our gathering together to him takes place after the tribulation? And I just want to lay out a few things to, to kind of settle this in the beginning. And I understand it's a controversial topic. I understand that people have different uh, uh, beliefs on timing and this and that. That's okay. This is just from the scripture what, what we're going to go through today. If you have more questions or want to talk about it more, you can talk to me after the baptism later. But if the people thought that Paul's original teaching was they were going to go through the tribulation, they wouldn't be troubled at this point in time because they would just be looking for the Lord to come, the same as it was before. The reason that they were so troubled was the fact that they had felt, did, did we miss it? Is this something that's passed and now we're in the tribulation? I thought you told us that we were going to be saved from wrath, be taken out, be called away to meet the Lord in the air. You know, now we have this different teaching. So if they had originally believed from Paul's letter that that was the case, they wouldn't have been troubled by the things that were coming out. And another example is that this letter is meant to comfort the saints in Thessalonica. It's not meant to discourage them. And so I, 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 you know, to say that, oh, what you're going through now, you know, you think it's bad, and they were being greatly persecuted, but don't, I mean, just wait. The tribulation is way worse. And when you go through that, you'll wish for these days um, that you were experiencing right now. Um, it's not very encouraging. That's not an encouraging message. I have an example uh, for, for uh, my wife and I. So I've been there for the, the delivery of our three uh, babies, and praise God, it's gone smoothly every time. There's been no complications. But what they do when you get there, for those that don't know, they admit you, they check you out, and they put you in there, and then they put these monitors on you. One monitors the baby, the other one monitors the contractions. And as the man in the room, you can see the contractions on a screen. You can see when they're coming, you can see how high they get, you can see when they're ending. Now having three kids, I know how high those numbers can get when it gets real serious. But Kathy doesn't. She's, you know, she's not facing the screen. So if I were to tell her, you know, we're in labor, she's, she's going through it all, Jane's, Jane's uh, on her way, and these contractions are getting up, you know, 50, 60, it's got like a little chart thing, and she's like, I'm in, she's in so much pain and and it's 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 really hard and if i were to tell her oh don't it gets up 190 200 i was like we're barely getting started here when that happens you're gonna wish that you could go back to this you know early time labor that's not very encouraging right that's not the message i think paul is giving in in this in this epistle you know if i tell her that don't worry in a, in a little bit once you get to a certain point then you can have this epidural and this epidural is going to take it all away and you're not going to feel any kind of contraction or anything until the baby comes that's an encouraging thing right the the, the, the fact that no, no 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 don't don't worry don't fret calm down it's all going to be okay uh just a little bit longer you got to endure this suffering and this is what paul is telling them don't be shaken you're going to go through suffering, and this suffering has a purpose, but the purpose is not to cause pain to you. 
The purpose is to mold you, to shape you into the person of Christ. The purpose is that God is, is using this bit of suffering for them to focus on the coming of the Lord. In America, we don't focus on the coming of the Lord too much because we don't suffer persecution. It's pretty easy for us. We don't mind staying here longer. The longer we stay here, the better. I can raise my family. I can, you know, have, Lord willing, grandkids. You know, I don't need the Lord to come. Life is actually pretty enjoyable. Well, if I was suffering great persecution like they were in Thessalonica, I'd be looking for the day of the Lord to come. I'd be looking for Jesus to come back and to take us out of it. So you could see that it's meant to give them a certain motivation that they would be those that spread the gospel. And perhaps we struggle in our gospel evangelism, we struggle in our daily life where God has placed us because we're actually pretty content with the way things are right now. These people weren't. They, they, they felt like the, the, this, this suffering was so terrible. And Paul is going to clarify these things so that they would be useful and not turn inward and focus on their own suffering. So not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled. So how did this false teaching come to them? It says either by spirit, by word, or by letter, as if from us. So there's uh, three modes here. We have by spirit. There could have been somebody that stood up in the meeting that um, was claiming to prophesy, was claiming to get information direct from God, stood up in the meeting and said, this is what's going to take place. Um, so you have, a, a, in a sense, a false prophet in your midst um, proclaiming this to take place. You have it by word that, hey, I heard from the Apostle Paul that this teaching is wrong, that we're actually in the day of the Great Tribulation. Uh, or you have a letter. So it looks like somebody may have even forged a letter uh, from the Apostle and sent it to the Thessalonians to, to push this teaching. And it just tells us that for, for them at the time, they did not have what we have. They did not have the complete canon of Scripture. Um, they depended upon the Apostle's revelation and, and what the Apostle was giving them. We have the Scripture. And you would think that this isn't a, a problem today, um, but there was a, a 30 years ago, there was a 88 reasons why Jesus has to come back in 1988. Um, and there were people that sold houses, quit jobs, um, ran up credit cards, uh, you know, did the whole, the whole nine yards because they felt like uh, they had picked this time. Well, if you look in the scripture, we see that even Jesus Christ has given up his right to know when that day comes. And yet we have people here that mathematically think that they could figure it out um, with pencil and paper. You got to go back to the scripture. Um, this, is, this is our great defense against false teaching. Uh, this is our great defense against even things that look spiritual. Um, we imagine the, the man there, the woman that whoever it was that stood up that proclaimed this, this prophecy, this false prophecy, must have been very convincing because all these people believed it. Right? So this is how it's come to them. That the day of Christ, and your manuscripts probably have the day of the Lord, uh, had come. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless. So there's unless. These two things take place. The falling away comes first, and the man of sin is revealed. Um, so there are two things that are keeping this uh, day of tribulation, this day of the Lord, from taking place. The first one is a falling away. Um, this great apostasy, or this great rebellion against God. And you might look at the world today and say, you know, how much worse can it get in the Christian church? Um, people that have, have really gone away, that have gone away from the scripture, that have gone away from a belief in Christ, yet call themselves Christians. 
but this has a more uh, universal sense and that there, it's a complete rebellion against God, not just a paying homage towards God, but a rebellion against God. And so it would be easy for this apostasy to take place once the church is removed. And we get into it later, how Satan uses this man of lawlessness to do this. He, the, the church is removed, and all those that were left that knew the gospel, God sends strong delusion, they believe this lie. And this lie causes them to act in a certain way, to rebel against God. And so you have this rebellion that takes place, this great apostasy, this great turning away from God. The next thing you have is this man of lawlessness will be revealed. So we would assume that at this time when this, the, the rapture takes place, that he'll be the one with the answers. He'll be the one to, to bring this, uh, this great lie that everyone will believe, uh, the same way Satan brought this great lie to the angelic realm, and a third of the angels believed and fell away. So you have this, this theme that's taking place. Apostasy has to take place. This man of lawlessness has to be revealed. And who is this man of lawlessness? Uh, you know, everyone knows him as the Antichrist. Uh, that, that's referred to in 1 John. Um, he gives him that title, and that's the title that everybody knows. But there's a number of, there's a number of titles uh, that the scripture gives this, this individual. Um, the willful king, um, the, the son of perdition, uh, this, the man of lawlessness, the man of sin. Uh, and when you think of all of the attributes of this man, he's, he, it's the opposite of this man of Christ. Christ is this one that is this, the, the Lord our righteousness is a term that's given to the Lord Jesus Christ. This one is the man of sin, uh, just the complete opposite of what uh, Christ stands for. And we see that, unfortunately, with the, with the church taken out, with the spirit taken out, with the church and the indwelling believers, all of a sudden, they'll flock to this man. They'll flock to this man in droves. He says, though the Lord Jesus says, I came in the name of my father, and no one would believe, but one will come in his own name, and all will believe. Uh, all these people are going to flock to this man of lawlessness. Uh, the son of perdition, uh, the son of destruction, uh, we know this term from this uh, man Judas. Um, it was initially given to him, but this is the culmination of it, the son of perdition. It says, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Now, when you read old commentaries, <clears throat> and I'm talking old commentaries, that because the nation of Israel was not put in place yet, um, there's a number of different theories as to what this means. This man will sit himself in the temple, will be worshipped as God, will proclaim himself as God. And the number of different uh, teachings have come out of that. In Matthew, it seems to make clear that it, it, he, he'll set himself in the Holy of Holies. Uh, so we would assume that is a Jewish uh, temple. Uh, so we assume that the temple, or at least the tabernacle, will have to be rebuilt um, for the offering of sacrifices. There's a number of teachings that go along with this passage that we're not going to get into, but the, this man of lawlessness makes this agreement with the children of Israel that they could build a temple or build a tabernacle, they could get back to sacrificing. Halfway in, he breaks that, he walks in, and he sits himself as in the throne of God to be worshipped. Um, this is kind of the, the, the teaching that goes in. A number of different theories have come up about that, but it seems that if you take what the Lord says and you take what is given in the um, epistles, that it is, in fact, uh, in, in Jerusalem where this will take place. So, in a sense, you know, you, you might be sitting there and think, so what? Um, 
you know, okay, all of these things take place. And that's what I want you to get away from. This isn't about knowing the facts. This isn't about knowing the, the, the teaching per se. It doesn't stop there. The point that this gets to, and we're, we're just going to kind of move on because we're running out of time. Paul says, do you, not, do you not remember when I was with you, I still told you these things? And now you know what is restraining, that he may be revealed in his own time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed. There's a number of theories on this. Um, the most common one in the intellectual world is that this is human government. Um, that, that human government will, uh, is that restraining force against the revealing of this man of lawlessness. I don't think that fits very well, um, just because we see that the mode of power that uh, the Satan uses is government itself, that there will be one world government set up under this man of lawlessness. So, you know, it doesn't make too much sense that he would use this general neuter term um, that of this this idea of what, what is restraining, you know what is restraining is a neuter term, and it says that he who now restrains will be taken out of way is a personal pronoun. It's given in the masculine form, and so we would assume that the only thing that could restrain Satan from doing his will, uh, the only thing that will be uh, taken out of the way in the sense of the church being removed and the indwelt believers being taken out at the rapture would then reveal, uh, have opportunity for Satan to reveal this man of sin. Uh, so that's the, the, the stance that, that we take on, on this passage here. It says, The coming of the lawless is according to the working of Satan with all powers, signs, lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. <clears throat> it says, And for this reason God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie, that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. This is really the point that should impact us. We all have close family, friends, neighbors, coworkers that do not know the Lord. If the rapture takes place and we are taken out, they've all heard the gospel, we assume, we've shared it with them, we've pleaded with them, we've prayed for them, we've shown them in the scriptures the things that they need to do in order to be saved, to simply put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, that his sacrifice on the cross is sufficient, that it's a free gift from God, that it's not by any mean of work that you can do or achieve, but that it's something that is received, it's something that is accepted, and it's something that is claimed as Jesus is Lord. If the rapture takes place, all of these people will believe the lie. All of these people will flock to the man of lawlessness, this man of sin. All of these people will continue down a path that only leads in destruction. And all of these people will perish in the lake of fire. The point of this passage, like the three little pigs, is not to know the little story and the facts. It is that it's supposed to be taken into us and it's supposed to change our daily life. When you think about that and you think about those that you pray for at night, you think about those that are on your list that you know, have been on your list for years. I was once that person. I was once that person on a list for five years where saints prayed for me until I got saved. And I am so thankful today 
that they didn't just give up, that they didn't just stop, that they didn't just turn inward and focus on themselves. They kept praying. They knew the Lord was coming. They knew it was only a matter of time, that nothing was guaranteed, that the Lord could come back at any moment. There's nothing stopping him. There's this passages in, in Isaiah. We went through Isaiah a couple of years ago in our Wednesday night Bible study. And you get to chapter 23, and for, I think it's like seven chapters, there are these woes that Isaiah pronounces upon all these nations. And it gets so tedious when you're reading through it and you're studying through it, and you're trying to figure out who he's talking to, what they're talking about, what it relates to. But the emphasis on that whole portion is the fact that Isaiah is lamenting and, and, and give, pronouncing a woe on these people because for an entire nation, it's too late. It's too late. They could have repented. They could have turned to God. They could have confessed their sin. They could have, and they didn't. And now woe unto them, it's too late. And so if you take anything away from this morning, uh, you know, if I could tell you exactly who the man of sin was, um, exactly when it would take place, um, how the falling away happens, who and how is restraining restrains it, uh, to tell you all the facts, and you knew all the facts, and you walked out of here, and it didn't impact you in any way to serve the Lord more fervently, it would be worthless. It would be worthless. What we want you to take away is the fact that the Lord could come back at any time, and for those that have not believed, there's a coming a point when it's too late for them to believe. And as Paul goes through this, he, he, he emphasizes it like this. Uh, Satan will come in the working of Satan. Uh, the Antichrist will come in the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders. Um, this man is going to be able to imitate a number of things that the, we assume that the, the miracles that the Lord Jesus did. Heal people, heal himself. Um, it said that he's going to be struck with a death blow, and yet he's going to live. He's not going to die. Um, there's a number of signs and wonders. He's going to make an image speak. He's going to do all of these miraculous things, and people are going to believe a lie. We ask you not to be shaken by these things because they exist even in the world today. You have to test the spirits. You have to test the scripture. You have to test what they're saying. You can't just accept anything. There's another uh, kid's story that we tell, uh, the gingerbread man. These are all coming to my mind now. The gingerbread man. So the gingerbread man, run, run as fast as you can. You can't catch me. I'm the gingerbread man. He is made, he's set out to cool, he jumps out the window and he runs along away from the old man and the old woman that are chasing because they want to eat him. And he knows they want to eat him, so he's running away from them. And then there's a, a cow, uh, a bear, uh, looking at my wife, cow, a bear, uh, there's a number of different animals that chase after him. And there's a, so he's running and nobody can catch him. That's the problem, you can't catch a gingerbread man. And he gets to a river and there's a fox there and the fox says, uh, I'll help you get across to escape these people that are coming to eat you. And the gingerbread says, no, you're just going to eat me. And the fox says, no, I don't like gingerbread. And the gingerbread man says, oh, okay. And he jumps on the fox's back. And then the water's getting higher, and he says, jump on my shoulders. And he jumps on my shoulders. And he says, okay, it's still getting higher. What am I going to do? Jump on my head. He jumps on his head. And then he says, it's still getting higher. And he says, well, jump on my nose. So he goes to jump, and then the fox eats him. And it's this thing that we don't just believe people just because of what they tell us. You know, you, you, you have to examine these things. We don't just blindly trust in, in, in what these things. This is something that we can trust in. The word of God is something that we can trust in. It has proven itself over and over and over again. And so if you're here this morning as a believer, we ask that you would 
realize that the, the, the coming of the Lord is imminent. For all these people you've been praying for, for all these people you've been witnessing to, um, keep praying, keep witnessing, don't give up, don't lose heart, just keep going. Don't, don't, don't consider this good work something to stop. Keep going. For all of you that are here that are not believers, there's coming a point in time when it will be too late to trust in Christ. You've heard the gospel. You know the gospel. And you say, ah, maybe later, maybe another time. We want you to know that the gospel is commanded to be believed. And if it's not, it's disobedience. And that disobedience results in perishing in a lake of fire. It's the only thing. All the sins of the world were laid upon Christ and he paid for them all. The only one that he cannot forgive is someone that does not accept, that rejects Christ. So if you're here and you have not, we command you to believe the gospel. We would compel you to believe in Christ. And as we're going to have an opportunity to witness uh, two that have, that will now publicly proclaim um, this display of faith, uh, publicly proclaim their trust in Christ. And now as they go into the water, they come out anew. For all of us that are anew, let us live like we've been born again. Let's close in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time that you've given us. We pray for these two that are being baptized, that this um, public profession of their faith, of their belief and obedience in the Lord Jesus Christ and the, the tradition of baptism. Father, we ask that as they go into the water and they come out in a symbol of being born again, in a symbol of being dead in Christ and now rising with him, that they would live in that newness of life, that they would be an example to us that have gone into the waters of baptism and brought, been brought out, that we are a public testimony, that we are taking a stand of what we believe and who we believe in and how we should live. And Father, may we be accountable to one another uh, to live according to all that Christ has for us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.